heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. It is Malcolm at eight. Welcome into the voice of a nation, my fellow Americans, and to all of our friends around the world. Why? And what a world it is, by chance. Yeah, we're now starting to talk about extraterrestrial visitation on Earth and uh, all kinds of interesting things out in the light of day. Well, never thought we'd see this from years back, but uh, I'm sure many of you have seen the hearing, and for those that didn't and have read the reports, they are indeed eye-opening. And all of us, of course, who are fascinated with this field. Listen, I've always been intrigued with uh, science and space exploration. I'm not the only one that is inquisitive about space exploration and science. Uh, in 2021, a Pew Research poll showed that 65% of Americans agree and think there is intelligent life on other worlds. Of course, a late night joke to that point might be that we're all still looking for intelligent life on this world when it comes to our political leaders, clearly. And this story today is central to that theme because the narrative that was coming out of this hearing from uh, the expert panel there was that this is a government cover-up of extraterrestrial visitation here on Earth and that they actually captured uh, biologics here as well. And uh, in fact, one of the uh, congressional people have asked, well, was it human or extraterrestrial? And it was non-human. So that'd be extraterrestrial, friends. Interesting. And this is well past the anniversary of E.T., by the way. Let me just remind you of that. Some of the points that came out of the hearing government is absolutely in possession of UAPs. And a UAP is an unidentified anomalous phenomena. And this used to be a UFO, we call it, remember, an identified flying object, of course. Now it's they call it a UAP. Um, one of the other points, non-human biologics were found at a crash site. Now, listen, to this is from an expert witness, sworn in under oath, non-human biologics were found at a crash site. Hmm. Uh, stigma is associated with sightings, is a silence and possible witnesses. So clearly there is a stigma with this. And for those who have spoke out, they've been sort of ridiculed, as many of them uh, were even saying that day, and others have said, they get death threats and warnings to keep it quiet. Uh, that uh, doesn't surprise me, really. But, uh, yeah. But the fact that uh, that these sightings, that, you know, they're, they're being silenced, and this has been going on for decades, should be alarming to every American, clearly. Uh, these UFOs or UAPs were spot, spotted accelerate into supersonic speeds, something that nobody ever seen before. And I heard that a lot through folks like, well, actually, like it reversed, like we don't have the current sort of thing that in midair can just reverse and go backwards the other way or can do at these kinds of speeds or do the sort of maneuvers that these sort of craft are doing. Now, when we first started here, hearing these stories uh, back in the last few years, there was a lot of speculation or concern, if you will, from some of us that perhaps as other countries uh, on the planet, and 
maybe Russia or China were, had some advanced technology that we were not aware of. But then other experts said, no, that's not really the case, that uh, our government would know everything that they're doing. So it can't be those folks that are doing this. And that became a little bit of a sticking point at this conference. So these were three former military officers, which we'll tell you a little bit about here today. And the hearing was called the Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Implications on National Security, Public Safety and Government Transparency. This was the first unclassified public testimony of its kind held in, in a congressional setting like this, in, a, in an open fashion like that. Wow. And, and these three service members uh, believe there is a massive government cover-up to this extraterrestrial behavior and these uh, these um, UAPs that we're talking about today, friends. Uh, you could not make this stuff up if you tried here. Uh, let's uh, open it up right there. And I want to bring on a, um, a gentleman who uh, I think we'll, ha we'll have a great conversation today with. Tom Harris joins me. And uh, Tom, he has uh, 40 years of experience as an aerospace and mechanical engineer and science and technology communicator. In fact, is, uh, he was an Air Force officer and flew in jet fighters as a test engineer himself. He's the executive director of the Ottawa, Canada-based International Climate Science Coalition as well. And I'll get into some more things of an op-ed that Tom wrote in moments here, but I want to get right to the point here or the thrust of this thing, Tom. And that is that the testimony from, and I think it was Ryan Graves, uh, I believe it was him, the former Navy pilot, who was talking about the biologics, I believe, and said, uh, oh, no, actually, it was David Grush. I take that back. David Grush, just looking at some of the quotes here now, that they have retrieved non-human biological matter from the pilots. First of all, do you believe that to be true, that that this was discovered at the site? Yeah, Malcolm, I think that he believes it was true. He said that he didn't personally visit or he didn't personally witness the extraterrestrial bodies. Mm -hmm. I think that he believes it's true based on the witnesses that he interviewed. And in fact, all three of the witnesses were very credible people. So I don't suggest that they're lying, but I think it's extremely unlikely that these were aliens, alien piloted spacecraft and that they had the body. So I think that there's other explanations that are much more likely. Yeah, because they were asking, I know, like, uh, where are the pilots? And I started thinking right away, they were, uh, the way some of the congressional folks were asking, Tom, it was like, like they were piloting a 747. You know what I mean? Like, well, where were the pilots? Well, maybe there weren't any pilots for this. This is what I was thinking. Maybe I don't really know. Yeah. But yeah. that was, is well, that, that what you were thinking as well? Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's very unrealistic in a lot of our science fiction, for example, Star Trek, where they actually send a human body into harm's way. Right. I mean, we already have drones that can do a lot of the more dangerous work. So exactly. I think, I think it's quite feasible, especially when you consider the distance and the time it would take to get here, that they could be fully automated with artificial intelligence. So, uh, yeah, you don't have to find a body, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, unless they've set up a um, uh, a, a test site on the moon or something, we're not aware of. Maybe it's on the dark side, Tom. I don't know. Yeah, that could but, be. But, uh, I, I mean, I guess, could that be? I mean, is that even remotely possible? Yeah, I think it would make a lot of sense. If I were extraterrestrial and I wanted to investigate a planet, I want to have a base somewhere nearby so you could send smaller craft, uh, you know, on an <clears throat> occasional visit-type basis. Mm -hmm. You know, the interesting thing, Malcolm, is that, 
first of all, I don't think very many scientists, if any, would say that there is no extraterrestrial life in the universe. So right, I right. think we really do have a good solid foundation that Earth is probably not unique. The question, of course, is are they visiting us right now here? And that I have a, tr a lot of trouble with. Okay, so let me ask you this now. The, the testimony from these guys, and specifically David Grush here um, about the biologics. So you, you've eloquently said you believe they believe that they are probably telling the truth and they look very convincing to be sure. They, they're not a first-hand experience is what we got out of that. They were second-hand or third-hand ex, uh, experience is what I gathered. Is that correct, number one? And two, do you think the people who were telling them were potentially lying? Well, the only one of the three who didn't actually have first-hand experience was David Grush. Okay, now he had the most incredible statements, the fact that they found non-human biologics, and biologics are things that are either alive or used to be alive. Right. Uh, and he says a secret multi-decadal program collecting crashed UFOs and attempting to re-engineer them, reverse engineer them. Now, that was done based on his interviews with other people. But the other two, it's interesting because David Fravor, who was a commander, actually, a Navy pilot, he actually witnessed UFOs personally. Okay, now it's important to understand that UFOs just means unidentified. It doesn't necessarily mean extraterrestrial. Right. And in fact, David Fravor says point blank that what he saw was a tic-tac-shaped tic object, yeah. you know, sort of an oblong thing, which was white, and it was down at ground level. It was right down near the ocean. And then it zipped up to be beside him and then it just vanished so quickly because it moved off so quickly that radar um trackers okay the uh, the air traffic control people they found it uh it was actually 60 miles away in less than a minute okay so that would be like something like Mach 10 mm. and you'd have to accelerate to that speed almost instantaneously now he actually saw these things he really right. did right but he's very he's very conservative and he says i know they were there we saw it they were right we <laughs> they were quite close they're about the same size as his f-18 right but we're not saying they're ufos we're saying they're well actually he is saying they're unidentified but he's not saying they're alien okay he's saying if it's alien then this is an important thing to know if it's not alien Mm -hmm. This is an important thing right. to know that somebody's doing it. All right. I, I do remember that testimony. You're right uh, with him, with David uh, Fravor, who, who you're right with the tic tac shaped object. So, look, a couple of follow ups with that. I want to ask you. So he sees it. He uh, says it's un unidentified, as you say, a UFO. More or less, that's what he's saying. But you, you said afterward they did find that object. Is that correct? No, they never actually found it. They saw it on radar. Oh, and they saw it in multiple. Oh, but they Wait. never found it. When you said 60 miles away, you meant that that's where they found I see. They didn't find it. Find it. Yeah, they found it on radar. But, you know, this is the aircraft carrier with very sophisticated equipment mm -hmm. watching it come up beside them. Right. And then zip, Mach 10, suddenly it's 60 miles away in less than a minute. So, I mean, there is something there. No question. Okay. About All right, so let me go further now. So let's just explore this a moment here. Just take this. Go take this step, uh, step by step here. So what could that, Tom, what could that possibly be? I mean, your best educated guess, is that something of this earth? Does somebody have advanced technology in our world that we're not aware of? Or is this from somewhere else? Well, I think the most likely outcome, and in fact, it's interesting, I was speaking to Robert Zubrin. He's the head of the Mars Society. He's a 
PhD in, in nuclear engineering and aerospace. And he said that he's personally aware that some of the UFOs have been advanced technology within the American military. And I think that's probably the most likely explanation of most of this, that they do have, in fact, technology that can do these incredible things. And they're cer certainly not telling anybody in the general service, you know? So I think that that's most likely what it is. The, the second thing it could possibly be is a simple malfunction in the radar systems. I mean, you know, we have in, you know, our, our technology is not perfect mm -hmm. and we often see, you know, problems now with things that are not quite as well seen as this Tic Tac object that David Fravor saw, we could always blame it on weather balloons or meteorological conditions or things like that. Right. You know, I saw I saw one over Texas, a UFO video over Texas that had, <clears throat> let's see, I guess it was 16 lights all in a circle. And it was moving around the sky and, you know, doing all kinds of things. It was in formation with other groups of lights like that. And it was hard to say, well, you know, what's that, you know? And well, it turned out that the light standards on the highway were 16 lights in a row and under certain atmospheric conditions or in a circle and under certain atmospheric conditions those lights would reflect off the clouds and as the clouds moved moved they would move too and so they showed very clearly that this was in fact a meteorological condition okay. and i think that for example is much more likely you know right. you have to say if it were extraterrestrial I mean, what are the odds of that when you look at the distance away between the stars? That's what my article this week was talking about. And, um, you know, I mean, we have the fastest object in human history is the Parker Solar Probe. And this will be in my article next week, actually, uh, where I continue part two of a three-part series. The Parker Solar Probe actually got up to 420,000 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. when it was accelerating towards the sun. So it's the fastest object humans have ever created. And yet getting to us from, let's say, the nearest star, okay, I actually have a couple of numbers here that I think will blow you away. Uh, getting to us from the nearest star, just, just let's see, it would take many, many years, okay? Uh, okay, here we go. It would take 13,000 years for an alien spacecraft to get to Earth from the closest star, which is 25 trillion miles away, 4.4 million light years, or 4.4 light years. And that spacecraft would be going 10 times the maximum speed of Apollo 11. Now, you know, to, so let's say we take the closest spiral arm in our galaxy, okay? That's actually the Perseus arm. And take an object there, like the Rosette Nebula, which you can actually see with the naked eye. And again, it's in the nearest spiral arm of the galaxy. Well, if you take the Parker Solar Probe, it would take almost 10 million years for us to get there uh, or for them to come here, okay? Even traveling at the speed of light, it would take over 5,000 wow. years, and we think that's impossible. So I, I think that it's far more likely that there are other explanations and that the aliens have traveled for thousands, if not millions. Okay. Of years. Yeah. Right. But you, what you're doing right away as you explain some of this, you're trying to make common sense, which I understand as a, as a scientist, you would do that. But you're trying to make common sense out of something that you may not be able to add common sense to. So if these but and you're saying, well, it can't be that or it can't be that or it can't be that or it can't be that. But Tim, I mean, maybe some of this is not logical because it is an, an advanced form of life somewhere. Is that not possible? Oh, yeah, totally. And in fact, you know, if a species could travel that kind of distance, they might also have discovered ways of bending space so that they don't actually have to travel. Exactly. 
huge distance. You know, the analogy my father used to use, and of course, he he would uh, explain all this thing, stuff to me because he was an engineer too. He said, imagine you're a two-dimensional creature mm-hmm. and you have to stay on the two-dimensional surface of a piece of paper. Well, if you know you had two dots that were separated by a foot on that piece of paper, they would have to travel that whole foot. But if you're a three-dimensional creature, you say, well, you know, I can bend that piece of paper and just zip, go across between the two bent parts. Now, what people speculate, we don't have any proof that this is possible yet, but that a fourth or fifth-dimensional creature could bend 3D space so that they could travel just just across a short distance uh, without having to go through. Well, you're you're just blowing a hole through the whole thing. So if that all could have happened, then it could have happened. And... I'm just saying, I'm just saying what the possibilities are. You know, there are possibilities yeah. here. Um, all right. David Fraber, he, let's just, I want to explore one more moment. This tic-tac-shaped object, Tom, he says, this is part of his quote here. He says, there were no rotors, no rotor wash, any visible flight control surfaces like wings. The object suddenly aligned with my aircraft. It began to climb at a clockwise climb in turn. Then it rapidly accelerated and disappeared right in front of our aircraft. Uh, the air controller let us know that the object reappeared on the radar, which is what you said, the 60 miles, less than a minute, uh, et cetera. We have nothing like that. So there, there's that evidence there. Now, you know, you'd have to wonder, is he on hallucination drugs or what? But then again, the, the, air, the air controller commented, I mean, he verified that they did see this thing on radar 60 miles uh-huh. away. So this appears to be, I guess, accurate information backed up by a couple of different folks. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I believe him. He's a very genuine man. And in fact, all three of the witnesses were super credible. Very credible, very credible. Yeah, so he saw something, no question about it. Um, but, you know, I think that hmm. the likelihood that it's terrestrial is still very, very low. Okay. Uh, and and it, it, it could very well be an unmanned probe of some kind that we have developed because, of course, we have advanced, um, what do you call them, dark projects that we don't tell people about. We have, for example, uh, aircraft, or I should say spacecraft in orbit that are right, these right. blue projects by the U.S. Air Force that nobody knows what's on. Well, board. suppose that thought now. Now you're getting my curiosity. Oh, yeah. Now you're getting me uh, because that's what I'm actually wondering, Tom, is this, you know, this whole project has been, I mean, there are people, maybe they're little green men themselves, I don't know, but in the United States government that are not too happy about these three um, three heroes, I guess, really, these three military uh, personnel out there divulging all this information to the public. And they and they have expressed that they're, you could tell they were a little uncomfortable Mm-hmm. They were being genuine, but they have expressed they have gone through a lot of ridicule. Their life has been in jeopardy. They've been threatened at times. That was expressed. Um, so, you know, obviously there are people in high places that are not liking this sort of thing. And, you know, I start thinking because, mm-hmm. you know, we all, <laughs> a lot of people, they think the president is the most powerful person in the United States, but. I think we're starting to see today the president is not the most powerful person in the world, as we've always suggested the president of the United States is. And, you know, with this global movement of what's happening, there are obviously a lot of other people calling the shots. So back to what you just threw out there, this advanced technology. It is, and I've thought about this a lot, especially recently when Russia was doing the hypersonic 
deal and China is right there with them. And they were doing the, the test runs and all of that successfully. And there were a lot of media reports here saying, oh, man, you know, we're falling behind. We're falling behind. We can't even do what they did or that did or that did. And I thought to myself, hmm, you know, I'm I'm venturing to bet here that our government is far more advanced in some of this technology than they are letting on than anybody knows that they are mm -hmm. sharing with the public and that they surely don't want adversaries to know about. What do you think about that? Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I think that's very likely. In fact, Robert Zubrin said that some of the UFO sightings, he personally spoke to people within the defense community, and he, he found that they were, in fact, dark projects that the public are not told about. And that would actually coincide quite well. You know, several of the House representatives went to, I think it was Eglinton Air Force Base, and the military were very angry. They ended up in an altercation with the base commander because they wanted answers. Well, the military did not want to provide them. So it's when, when was that? Hold on. When was that that you just was that after the hearing or before? Just before the hearing. And okay. they actually brought it up in the hearing. And, you know, so, I mean, let's say it was dark projects. It was secret military projects. And these people are trying to dig in and actually expose it to the public. Well, yeah, the military is going to put up a lot of roadblocks. You know, they're going to try their best to not have it released. Uh, and, and if it were extraterrestrial, would they release it then? Well, I would say no. They asked George Bush. I was watching an interview with the second George Bush, and they asked him point blank, when you were president, if you came in, if you became aware of extraterrestrial visitation of the Earth, would you have told the public? He immediately said no. OK, so it's either extraterrestrial or it's advanced military projects. And in both cases, yeah, they don't want you to find out. <laughs> well said. All right. Tom, stay right there a moment here. Wow. That is well said. Either way, uh, this is by design, by intention. Uh, Tom Harris is saying there and uh, that was uh, probably spot on, friends, probably spot on. You know, I, I actually am talking to Tom now. Um, yeah, I'm beginning to feel that, I don't know about you out there, but that our government has got their hands into some other things that, uh, that are far advanced. Thinking about that quite a bit, actually. Uh, I don't know. There's something about it. There's something there, people. There's something there. But at the same time, as Tom was just indicating, it's not that there's not extra extraterrestrial beings out there because he, he has told me that he believes there is that it's unthinkable that we can be the only, the only thing in town of all the universes of universes, you know, that we could be the only thing that's almost unthinkable. And I start thinking about that a lot and thinking about our faith and where we're at and this experiment here on planet earth, you know, that we're, we're involved in here. It's pretty remarkable. But there's some evidence that Tom gives when he talks about the um, the possibilities. And I found this really intriguing that he was talking about. This uh, op-ed, this first part of this three-part series is uh, titled, Why I Do Not Believe in Alien UFOs and Why You'd Better Hope I'm Right. It gets into some interesting points about this, actually. It's very interesting. But I liked some of it, but I've got a lot of thought questions, too, about when he was talking about the universe and then other universes and galaxies. 
What does that really mean? He even goes on to say, by the way, and which blew me away with this statement. I got it right here. Okay. Our sun is nothing special in a galactical sense. And that puzzled me, that statement at first. I, I really did because I thought, you know, I was raised as a young lad and studying science that our sun was particularly very special and that we'd be screwed without it. I'm sure he'd agree with that. But he's saying, well, but there's probably many more of these. Yeah, got me thinking too, you know, because really, you know, I often reference to you, how coincidental would it be that the sun just is right there and planet Earth is just right here? And if planet Earth was just a little bit in a different axis or a little bit that way, a little bit this way, it's not going to work, people. It's not going to work. And then we have this thing called gravity, you know, <laughs> and we have water here. And we can breathe, and we can be, and we can do, and then the human body. And, you know, you start thinking about it, all right? I mean, there's, it have to be an awful lot of coincidences. <laughs> well, let me tell you as well, there's no coincidence that uh, America Out Loud has uh, made a transition, and very intentionally so, to AmericaOutloud.news. That is uh, the landing site now for the new site. I'd been planning on this move for uh, quite some time, actually, about eight months or so. Our, our tech team had been working on this transition. And so now you can still get there with .com, naturally, but it is AmericaOutloud.news uh, because that is what we do, and it is to inform the American people and to all of our friends around the globe of the out loud truth. That is our single purpose and mission here is to get that out there, friends. So AmericaOutloud.news is where you go to get the latest there. Help us by sharing all of the content, the stories, the podcast, all of that. That's what this is for, is to get it out there. This is the rise of independent news. Uh, it's the independent media, because as you know, uh, what's happened to legacy media or mainstream media, some call it, and social media, and you can't really trust any of that. It is full of lies and uh, and falsehoods in there. And so that is the rise of independent media that is not afraid to go there. That's the purpose of this. Uh, we'll be doing a special series, by the way, next week on some of this with the media. And uh, very, very interesting. And, and government's overplay in the media, in an Orwellian world, if you will, um, in the rise of independent media. We'll be talking more and more about that, friends, uh, just ahead here. Also, be sure to visit AmericaOutloud.shop. It's the newest place that we have created now to get all of the great discounts we've negotiated with the products and uh, that we have across the network that you see that are there for you to help you live a more quality life. Healthy Cell, of course, is a great product. Immune Super Boost, uh, REM Sleep. Focus and recall. You get 25% off that first order. Just use the code out loud. In fact, if you go to AmericaOutloud.shop and click the ads, it'll put you right into the site and get the discount. You don't have to remember anything. But the code is always out loud. Also, don't forget spike support with an kinase and the dandelion root and all of the ingredients that will help people with long COVID and COVID vaccine. That is also in the America Outloud shop. That's from the wellness company, by the way. And uh, you'll you'll get the discount there on that product as well, uh, with the um, by, by using that code here. 
uh, of the, and I'm looking for the discount right now as I speak to you. And it is 25% off. Yeah. So I had to just verify so I don't give you the wrong information, but it's all there at America Crowd Lounge Shop. Check it out and, uh, and stay healthy. Of course, that's what it's all about. We'll take a quick pause, my fellow Americans, and we'll join you just on the other side of the voice of a nation. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Libertyatamericaoutloud.com. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com seven amazing years we know that if america fails the world will fail it is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty america out loud talk radio the liberty and justice for all back into the broadcast here uh, the voice of a nation it is malcolm at 8 8 p.m eastern time is where you hear the broadcast here i'm uh, talking about this fascinating uh, hearing on the uaps uh, this was really must watch um, congressional hearings and they're always entertaining but this one was highly entertaining and very informative in fact it was the unidentified anomalous phenomenon uh, implications on national security, public safety, and government transparency is what that was called. Eye-opening remarks uh, from the three gentlemen. Ryan Graves was a former Navy pilot, by the way. Uh, David Fravor is a retired Navy pilot and commander. And David Grush is a former Air Force officer and intelligence official. All three were highly credible, as we were talking just moments ago about here. Uh, Tom Harris joins me back here on the broadcast. And uh, Tom, again, uh, to, to reiterate this, you know, 
he's like a kid in a candy shop with this kind of a topic. Uh, Tom, that's fair to say that, Tom, I think here. Uh, yeah, because of his 40 years of experience uh, as an aerospace and mechanical engineer, science, technology, uh, he has uh, flown some of the test uh, as a test engineer, the, the uh, flew in the jet fighters and all, and uh, remarkable uh, background there Tom has. Uh, but, you know, a lot of scientists, they look at things differently. Uh, Tom, I, I want to get into some deep thought with you now here. And um, I, so I want to start with um, uh, some eye-opening points that you say here. And let me put this out there first, and then you explain this. This I really so enjoyed the read on this um, op-ed you did here. In the past 30 years, we have begun to put some hard numbers on all of this, you say. As of the end of July here in 2023, it's very current, we have found over 4,000 relatively nearby stars with planets orbiting around them. Now, follow me on this, friends, okay? That's just over 4,000. Uh, and then for a total of 5,470 confirmed exoplanets, uh, right, Tom? Yeah, that's right. Planets uh, around other stars. Uh, planets around other stars. In one planetary system... Uh, called the Trappist One, there are seven Earth-sized planets that could be covered in liquid water, planets that are so close together that standing on the surface of a Trappist One planet, you might see six other worlds on the horizon. God, that just flips me out, Tom. I, I'd love to see that in real time, wouldn't you, man? Oh, oh, God, yeah, that would be pretty incredible. Man, maybe you and I could take a flight out there somewhere and check that out. I don't know. But, and you say here, according to new estimates, using data from NASA's Kepler mission, there may be as many as, listen to this now, drum roll. This is crazy. One Earth-like planet for every five sun-like stars in the Milky Way galaxy. What does this mean? It means... There may be over 5 billion, billion, billion people, stars in our galaxy that have Earth-like planets. And some have more than one Earth-like planets in orbit. Tom, you can't even wrap the human mind around what you just said there. So give us your words of how crazy this, I mean, how significant and and, and wild crazy this whole thing is, this universe yeah. and universes and galaxies, huh? Well, that's right. Only a few decades ago, we wondered if our sun was the only star to have planets. And now we're finding thousands of them do. And we're only just tipping, you know, just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we're only looking at nearby objects. When you consider the whole galaxy, let alone the whole universe, I mean, it's going to be hundreds, perhaps trillions of stars that have planetary systems. And, you know, the interesting thing is that if, in fact, this is going to be part in my second article, uh, if, in fact, uh, there are extraterrestrials on other planets, which seems almost certainly the case. They would be far, far advanced to us for two reasons. One is because most stars in the galaxy are actually a lot older than our star. So if you have a certain evolutionary path from the first microbes to eventually intelligent life, it's had billions of years longer <clears throat> with most stars for life to evolve and actually become sentient. So that's the first factor. The other factor is you have to remember humans have only been human for something like a quarter of a million years. And so in the life of the universe or even the solar system, that is a blink of an eye. So that's, of course, one reason why we may never encounter extraterrestrials now. And I'll get to that in a second. But if they are still here now, the chances are that they're far, far advanced to us 
for that simple reason, we've only been able to broadcast radio for just over a century. Hmm. So if they've been around for billions of years, which is, you know, it's quite possible if civilizations can survive that long without destroying themselves, then, um, yeah, they would be hugely advanced to us. And, you know, it's interesting. Arthur C. Clarke wrote a series called Rendezvous with Rama. Rama was a spacecraft that came into the solar system. And the last version of that, the fourth version of the four-part book series, was called Rama Revealed. And at that point, it's interesting because one of the automated uh, extra it's actually an, an automation it's not a not, it's not a living but it took one of the humans to a large room where it showed the history of the galaxy sped up so that you had something like a hundred thousand years per second and they watched you know stellar systems would illuminate and would show as they expanded into space where they went and the interesting thing is that the eagle which is the automation that showed the humanness and people should look it up because rendezvous with rama's series is amazing especially that last book rama revealed and what the eagle showed was these little sort of blips would be here's a civilization that established spacefaring and you see it would expand into the nearby vicinity and then it would die out. And then another one, a few seconds later. Bloop, bloop. And so what they showed was an interesting conclusion, namely that the likelihood that civilizations established at the same time interacted with, with each other was very, very low. And so the conclusion they came to, and Arthur C. Clarke actually supported this, he said that, you know, in his book, he said the conclusion they came to was that a common ingredient among intelligent life in the universe was loneliness because not only were they so far away from other intelligent life, but they had to overlap in time. They had to exist at the same time as the extraterrestrial. And so the likelihood of ever encountering extraterrestrials was very low. Now we might see evidence of past civilizations. And that's the point I take is I think it's possible we'll see evidence of past civilizations, but to think that they're here right now seems incredibly unlikely. Mm, yeah. Well, unless again, what you've described, they're so far, and, and your perfect analogy about the more advancement that they would have to be based on the longevity that they had in existence again, mm -hmm. uh, to where we're at would make sense. But it would also explain, Tom, why these Sidons and potential vehicles would be doing things that we can't even wrap our minds around. That would explain that, but right? Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, the analogy I've heard made is it's like humans are an, in an anthill mm -hmm. and there's a super highway nearby. We don't even know the highway exists. Yeah. And so that actually leads to another, another question. And that is, do we want them to be extraterrestrials? And I would say, no, definitely not. If you look at history and sociologists have done this and actually worked with the search for extraterrestrial intelligence people out of Berkeley, uh, they've actually started to engage uh, social scientists asking, okay, how have primitive societies fared when they were interacted with, when they interacted with advanced civilizations? And it's very, very bad in general for the underdeveloped civilizations. And so that actually brings up an interesting question. Do we want there to be extraterrestrials when we are so primitive that we can barely make it to the moon? Right. Okay, so these people 
would be so far advanced to us, we would be totally at their mercy. And, you know, Malcolm, it's not just whether we, we want there to be UFOs that are piloted by aliens. There's yeah. a more basic question that is actually more practical. We have something called the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Right. And over the years, we've been listening now for about 30 years with bigger and bigger telescopes and better and better computers. But scientists are becoming impatient. So what they're starting to do is beam signals to nearby solar systems with all of our details you know and that sounds to me like really crazy because imagine at night in the jungle you stood up and said hey here i am i am made of juicy flesh you know <laughs> you wouldn't do it i mean that would be crazy and so there's actually coalitions of scientists who are trying to stop mm -hmm. it because mm -hmm. we've had actually quite a few messages sent out some of which have actually arrived by now at the stellar systems that they were shooting the message towards wow. so this is very dangerous. You know, it's interesting. The first uh, real broadcast was from Arecibo back in the 1960s. This was a, the largest radio telescope in the world. But, you know, in that kind of signal, they had things like the constituents of humans. <laughs> and, of course, the record that was put on Voyager that went out of the solar system and is now leaving the solar system is way beyond Pluto. Uh, it actually has all kinds of stuff about us. I mean, what we're made of, you know, our natural resources. I mean, this is an advertisement. And what's that one called? What's that one called? Well, that's the gold record that was placed on the Voyager and also, I believe, on the Pioneer Space. But the one that's way past the, even uh, the, the outside of the solar system now, that's still going, you say? Oh, yeah, that's still going. Now, that won't get to a nearby star for thousands of years. But the trouble is the signals they're sending out, mm -hmm. okay? And they're actually talking about having a very concentrated laser beam, which would contain perhaps the whole contents of the internet. That's what they're talking about sending in a concentrated laser beam to nearby stars. Now, to me, that sounds completely insane because we have no idea who's going to intercept it. We have no idea of their ethics, whether they would just consider us a natural resource to be harvested. And, you know, you don't have to look very far in science fiction. I sent you a link, a trailer to a movie, which I think everybody should watch. In my year of birth, 1953, Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer, wrote a book called Childhood's End, a phenomenal book. And they made it into a three-part miniseries mm -hmm. just recently. And if you go on the, on the web and you search for that, you can watch the trailer. And I won't give away the story because, of course, it's, it's a very exciting book. It's a very exciting movie as well. And it's about our first encounter with extraterrestrials. Now, everything is on their terms because they came here. They are so far advanced to us that we're just like ants. Okay. And they see potential in us. And well, I won't say what happens. But yeah, the bottom yeah. line is we would be entirely at their mercy. So I would far rather encounter extraterrestrials in a few thousand years when we are among the stars and we are actually making contact. Yeah. Well, you can see Our the technology being advanced. You can see the advancement right now uh, with uh, artificial intelligence, uh, Tom. Right? You see all the conversations about Chat GPTs and all of these uh, more advanced, and you see a lot of the high stakes players, uh, the global folks, getting involved in this AI. And some of it's a bit unnerving, and they are actually talking about it. And now you, they want to have actually congressional hearings on there too. With the mm -hmm. suggestion that we need to be careful here because it could mark the end of humanity. What do you say to that? Well, I think Elon Musk, who promotes that idea, I think he's he's quite right on. And in fact, in, in an interesting recent interview, Elon Musk said, we'd better bring in 
very restrictive regulations for what AI can do. And we better do it soon because as the AI takes over more and more of our society and, you know, right now you can get into Bing search engine and you can right. chat with the AI and it's quite fun. I've been doing a lot of that. And it's very good if you're looking for, you know, factual information right. like will this computer run this program, things like that. I mean, it saves you a huge amount of time. But the point he made is this, and it's a little frightening. He said, we better impose regulations on AI before AI is advanced enough that it will stop us from imposing regulation. You know, I always get a kick when those statements are made uh, from whoever. And by the way, it's not just Elon Musk. He's one of the very notable ones. But there's a lot of people who are thinking like he is, that we've got to have regulations so on and so forth. But, you know, here's the thing, Tom. The only people that follow regulations are law-abiding citizens who might do that. Evil people who have uh, 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 evil content to do things of harm don't follow regulations, by the way. I don't know if you ever considered that. Yeah, yeah, good point. But, you know, it's interesting because our, uh, let's see, Isaac Asimov, he has the first law of robotics. And the first law of robotics is that a robot cannot do anything to harm a human. So somehow we have to make it so that, you know, we actually are the controllers. They may be able to do things much faster right, than us. Right, right. Be more intelligent in certain Well, you're ways. talking about the program, and which, by the way, is another point I'll give back to you when you said a moment ago, well, they're very fascinating. In fact, I, you recommended them because you could get this, this, and this, and they're very capable. Well, they are, but here's the thing. I've tested this thing, and a lot of them are tainted already and twisted because they've been built yeah. from a leftist, Marxist, progressive agenda. And when you ask it certain things, it comes back with falsehoods. Or if you ask it certain things it doesn't like, in whatever capacity, even a conversation as simple as transgender, it will take the opposing viewpoint immediately and cut your knees off and tell you you're wrong. So what the hell are we doing, Tom? What's that all about? Right. It was a good point. At this point, at this point, we are programming AI. Exactly. Uh, and in fact, it's interesting. when I did the Bing search, you know, the AI on yeah. Bing, I asked it about me. And, and of course, I got back everything that was on Wikipedia about me, which, of course, was hugely biased and in some cases wrong. And, uh, you know, so I started quizzing it about climate change. And I only had to dig two or three levels down before the system said to me, we are now ending this conversation. <laughs> Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, exactly right. So, so right now, uh -huh. these are being programmed by computers but or sorry by people but the real concern is that what happens at some point in the future where ai is programming ai i mean that's when we start to lose well, that or or evil people that are in a room somewhere you've seen that before there's plenty of oh, them yeah. on the planet tom who yeah would, would love to see the end of humanity well that's right and and you know it's interesting because if we're able to do this at this point, think of what we could do in thousands of years or yeah. even millions. Of years. That's right. I mean, that's right. we probably would not know the difference between AI and real. Uh, well, that's what I'm suggesting here. You made the comment about advanced technology, Jim, and you covered it perfectly uh, in our conversation today. But let me say that, uh, you know, when you consider, as you know, Tom, how far we've come from the horse and buggy uh, to the automobile, uh, to a radio signal, uh, to a television to be able to watch it in your home, to a computer. I mean, I remember a computer being able to put a, a five and a quarter inch floppy in there and thinking you were taking the world on, man. Like, oh, my God, there's a machine that does. I remember a time when I was out of town and my wife faxed me this incredible story tom i don't hate to date myself but about that there was such a thing as a fax machine mm, yeah yeah she exactly. said she said can you believe this she said look at this fax machine you can fax lunch over to a restaurant 
Yeah. I mean, she yeah. literally sent me that story. I still have it. And I thought, wow. And I mean, come on. I mean, you talk about going from primitive is slow motion to fast speed. We're sort of doing that now in a very short order. In I wonder what we're going to look like just 50 years from now or 100 years from now when our people can't even, they're already, you know, screwing things up now. What are they going to do when we've got all this far more advanced technology on? I mean, humanity is, it's pretty messy. It's pretty messy, Tom. Right. In fact, they say that right now we're entering into what they call a white hole, not a black hole, a white hole in white time. Hole. Okay. Yeah, where things are accelerating so quickly right. that it will eventually be very difficult for the average person to even keep up or to even understand what's going on around them. Really? I mean, and you know, this particular book, it's called A White Hole in Time. They were talking about the fact that we may end up with a situation with AI and with these um, machines that can actually make things. You know, you just beam a signal to the space station and they can make a wrench, you know, out of 3D printing. That We may end up with a time where the world changes so fast that people cannot adjust. They cannot adapt. They go to bed one night and they wake up the next morning and the road outside their their property is totally different because, of course, AI can change it very quickly and you have you know, 3D printing, et cetera. Wow. So, I mean, th there will come a time, I think, very soon when we may intentionally slow things down because people may find it just way yeah. overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. And, and I get the feeling of that. It's happening at such a fast pace. And I always, you know, I take on the fight here every day, Tom, of good and evil on this network and platform in my, my personal shows. And I mean, I totally get the good and evil component here, which is the point I've driven with you several times here, that all these things are okay when you're talking about them at that level. But once you add the evil people in or the evil components of it, I mean, it changes all the rules almost instantly. Everything mm -hmm. you thought would be okay is not okay because there are people even now, I mean, they put backpacks on with bombs on, they do all kinds of things. People want to die. They want to kill others. They want to... People have no problem with ending life. I mean, there's a bunch of those people all over the place. They exist everywhere. And well, yeah. And, you know, concerning changing things quickly, I mean, it was possible 200 years ago for a scientist who was really smart to know basically all of science. Yeah. He could be a Renaissance man. He yeah. could know everything about that was known about science. And you see Humboldt and various other people who are Renaissance people. But today you got a situation where an astronomer cannot even know everything about astronomy. They cannot even know everything about stars. They cannot even know everything about a super pulsar or nova. So they end up as such narrow specialists. The kind of person that's going to become valuable in the future hmm. will be the, gen the generalist. Okay. Somebody who can integrate a lot of knowledge and right. come up with sort of um, you know, coordinated decisions taking into consideration many things, but not being a specialist okay. in any one. Yeah, I get you. I get you. All right. Now, I got to ask you a couple of big things here um, that I've been uh, pondering here. And I'm, I'm, I don't really know. I mean, I know a lot of scientists uh, think a certain way. But let me just ask you straight out first. Um, do you believe in God? I'm agnostic. I actually grew up believing in God, and uh, I wish there was a God. And in fact, I'm a member of a church that I go to now and then, and I donate to them because they do great work. I've, I've, I'm actually a biased investigator because when I started really digging into this about a, de about a decade ago, I wanted to believe in God. But my conclusion was that I had to stay agnostic because I hadn't seen really solid evidence. So okay. I was a skeptical inquirer, even though I was biased. Okay. All right. All right. Now, 
it, that would probably be, I mean, correct me on this, but a pretty good explanation too of our former colleague and dear, dear life friend, uh, Dr. Jay Lear. He probably had a very similar attitude to that, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, I don't think he was ever atheist because to be atheist, you have to be confident there is no God. And of course, he wasn't. Yeah, I be that. So he was agnostic as well. That's right. Because I've talked to Jay off mic about it many times. And uh, he he was exactly what you described there a moment ago. So. Mm -hmm. All right. So when you say that and we talk because, you know, I'm thinking about us, we're talking about the galaxies and all of these uh, universes. And, you know, I I often reference to listeners over the years that, you know, we're amazing. Everything about this experiment is amazing. And I reference the blue marble in the universe of universes. How much coincidental could there be? So when you think about God and all of this and faith. Tom, and you've addressed it pretty well as saying, well, I'm a, most scientists probably are agnostic. Is that fair? Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. They negate it and they understand the benefits of Christianity. Right. Right. But I think most of them, there are some that are very religious, Right. most of them are agnostic. One thing about you, I discovered even more in this conversation today, is you're, really open, you're a really open-minded guy, more than some, uh, which I like that a lot. I mean, you're you're open minded to the possibilities, but that that should be what science is, right? I mean, right? yeah, exactly. The whole point of science is questioning, and in fact, uh, Dr. Tim Ball, who sadly also just passed away recently, yeah. he used to be accused of being a skeptic, and his response was, "Oh, well, thank you," <laughs> and because of course that's what science is. Science well, but, is- but by today's standard, though, scientists, they've hijacked it for political means. Of course, we've known yeah. we've seen all the science in COVID, as you know, and all the rest of it, you know, uh, yeah. well, science is nefarious. Albert, yeah. Albert Einstein had an interesting statement. Uh, he would say, you know, they, they had 100 scientists against Einstein. They wrote a book which circulated around Germany to try to condemn Einstein. And they asked him about it. And he said, well, if I was wrong. One scientist would be enough. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, being skeptical and humble. Humble is the key ingredient of right, science. Right, right, right. Depend that you know the answers okay. is, is not scientific. All right. Let, let me pose this to you now here. Back to this. This is a great place to, uh, to end this marvelous conversation. Uh, I could talk to you for hours and days here on this. To- I love this topic, first of all. Yeah, it's fun, uh, yeah. I've, oh, yeah, I find it highly, highly intriguing uh, to have this. But so let me let me phrase it this way here. OK, so I think about the universe, Tom, and I think about our magnificent planet. And as I started this coming back from the break, I suggested that, you know, where the sun is, where the earth is a little bit either way, uh, we're toast. It doesn't work. The fact that we have gravity, the fact that we have water, the fact that we can do all of this thing. Now, I think about all of that, the perfection that has to be in play for us to have a day part, that 24-7 day part where we sleep, our minds sleep, we get up, we live. The human the human experience, Tom, I'm calling it, okay? The human experience. Mm-hmm. And then you take a look at the human body and you take a, take a look at the marvel that the human body is. I mean, it's beyond a miracle. It's all a miracle. The miracle of life, the miracle of the universe, the miracle of the galaxies, the miracle of all of it. And then I think to myself, Tom, and I say, how many coincidences would it take for all of that to happen? Now, in our wildest imaginations, I would venture to say to you back, Tom Harris, that there that is too many coincidences for this to happen, for this perfection to be perfection, and for you and I to be talking at the moment we're talking about. Now, you talked about advanced life and their capabilities. I have to believe 
that God is in control of this environment and this experiment at this point. As a believer myself, uh, I do believe that th this can't all be coincidence. What do you say back to a cat like me, who, when we talk about coincidences and where we are in this experiment of life, just a couple of moments here left, but what do you say back to me? Well, I hope you're right. I mean, I would like to think that the universe has a purpose, that indeed there is a supreme being that actually oversees the goodness and the evil that's that's here. But, you know, you have to realize that we evolved to become like we are because we were born and we evolved here. We evolved here on Earth. If we had evolved on a totally different solar system with a different kind of star and different kind of gravity and different kind of atmosphere, we could be having the same argument saying, isn't it miraculous that we all evolved to be completely coincident or completely coinciding with the current conditions that support us? But that's because we evolved in this system. We wouldn't have come in into existence yeah. with this gravity, with this light, with this air. So you, do you think the human body could happen in the way that it did? You believe it could just by by just by the the um the, the those initial early cells and the way the body formula. You think it could happen just on its own? Yes, with all yes, the moving parts, with all the you really with the brain, everything the way it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, t I'll tell you something. After I interviewed with my Mary Jean, my co-host Robert Zubrin yesterday, we got into a little interesting discussion that relates to this and he said to me he said you you realize that a lot of our dna they call junk dna they don't know why it's there they think it's useless mm -hmm. but the the speculation was that there may be characteristics that were actually in previous species that we descend from so they tried an experiment with a chicken and a chicken of course descends from dinosaurs and they tweaked its dna when it was still in the embryo mm -hmm. stage and sure <laughs> enough the chicken grew teeth okay because the original dinosaurs that it descends from has teeth. So very, very likely he thinks that in our junk DNA is the echo of previous species that we're related to. And this is really kind of frightening actually, yeah. because we can start turning on the characteristics of previous species that we're actually descended from. Wow. We can have incredible monsters for Well, this so, could explain a lot of the stuff going on yeah, actually, you yeah, know, right? right? I Maybe mean, they've turned on, turned on the dumb gene in some of our politicians. Oh, right my golly, you're on to it, Tom Harris. <laughs> oh, thank you, Tom, for joining me here. And um, let me tell folks again, this uh, article is, I think, just brilliant. Really, really good stuff, man. Why I do not believe in alien UFOs and why you'd better hope I'm right. Uh, now you see, you can put that in context with what Tom shared with us today. I'm going to have Tom back again with this three-part series. I've, I've definitely going to follow. We're going to do this each time with the three parts coming up on this. Uh, he brings up some interesting points here. And I find the whole thing really, really intriguing. And the way we ended this with the point of faith, I think, is a very interesting moment of time. And it makes us think, though, doesn't it? And that's what's important, friends, is to really think outside the lines a little bit. You know, what is the purpose of all of this, the purpose of this life, the purpose of our existence? The purpose of the fight of good and evil. What are we here for exactly? You know, I think about it all the time. Believe me, I do. And uh, but it gives us food for thought. Thank you for joining me here on the mission. It's time to get involved and get loud, America.